No She Didn't is a new podcast produced by a husband and wife team. They focus on the forensic psychology aspect of true crime and criminal investigations. Each week a new podcast will be released on Fridays discussing a true crime case and how forensic psychology played a role in the investigation. Hey friends, it's Alicia and Jamie from the No She Didn't podcast bringing you this week's true crime episode. Because we focus on the forensic psychology aspect of cases, we wanted to tell you a little bit more about how a serial killer may choose their victims. The easiest way to explain that would be for me to ask you some questions. What characteristics are you attracted to? Do you like a certain body type, a certain hair color, or eye color? What about someone's smile? I think for the most part, we all have a type that we like. Well, the same goes for a large number of serial killers. Most carefully choose their victims based on a criteria that they psychologically select. Whether or not the killers are aware of this is another subject. So today, we're going to focus on some cases that clearly define a killer's criteria. When we have the opportunity to conduct psychological interviews with killers and we ask them why they have chosen a certain individual... Often, the killer themselves are not aware that there's a pattern. The most common belief is that killers select a certain type based on their desire to dominate their ideal victim. There's typically a fantasy about a certain type of person, and whether or not they prefer a certain age group, skin type, hair color, personality, or just a specific characteristic in general. Most serial killers are extremely careful in their planning of the murders and will not take any risks if they think that they'll be caught. Often, the serial killer will seek out test victims, ones that they believe no one will come looking for or care about, such as prostitutes or homeless people. They have to make their first attempt, and like a hobby, they have to find out what works for them. What did they do right, and what did they do wrong? What could they have done differently? What part of the act was satisfying or not satisfying? They're turning their fantasies into reality. Often when studying crimes, we find links. We find similarities, and it is often what alerts us to the fact that we may have a potential serial killer on the loose. Let us give you an example. It may not seem like much to the untrained eyes of an average everyday citizen, but to those of us that study this form of crime, it is a red alert. On March the 1st of 2018, a severed head was found by Calcasieu Lake in Louisiana. Then again on March the 24th of 2018, another severed head was found near Lake Houston in Texas. The locations are about 150 miles apart, and it's a distance that is easily traveled even within a day's time. So what are the similarities in the case? Both severed heads were found near a lake. Both both victims were female. Both victims were around the same age group, both victims had red hair, and both victims had good teeth. Also, both victims' heads were placed in plastic shopping bags. If you are like us, you know there is a huge possibility that these two cases are connected, and this person clearly has a type. He hunts women that are between the ages of 25 and 40 with long red hair and good teeth. Side note, as of the release of this podcast, this case is still under investigation. In 2005, the FBI released a report about serial homicides, stating that serial killers typically kill for one or more of the following three reasons. The first being availability. 
Availability is primarily determined by the lifestyle of the victim or circumstances in which he or she is involved that may provide the offender access for an attack. For example, a single female who regularly spends her evenings alone at home is available for a break-in attack by a serial predator. The next is vulnerability, and vulnerability is defined as the extent to which the victim is at risk or susceptible to attack by the offender. A single female walking down the street at night is less vulnerable to attack if she is accompanied by a large dog. And finally, we have desirability, which is what we're going to focus on today. And it is highly subjective and is described as the attractiveness or appeal of the victim to the offender. Victim desirability involves numerous factors related to the motivation of the offender and may include characteristics such as race, ethnicity, gender, age, body type, or other specific criteria established by the serial killer. Since we mentioned a story earlier about an open case involving two separate heads that were found with similarities, long red hair, we want to tell you about another murderer that said redheads triggered an overwhelming lust in him, and he isn't the only one with a fascination for redheads. I'm actually going to be reading you an article that was written by Katherine Ramslin. She actually has a PhD. Miss Ramslin is a professor of forensic psychology at DeSales University, and she's the author of about 60 books. Um, the article was posted on May the 5th of 2018, and she did give me permission to read this article as long as I quoted it correctly and let you all know that she's the author of the story and many other very interesting case studies as well. So I'm going to tell you this story. All right. On July the 1st, 1948, trucker Charles Floyd broke into an apartment in Tulsa, Oklahoma, attacking a woman and her two teenage daughters. He raped the woman, but a neighbor interrupted, so he fled before he killed anyone. Down the street, Floyd cut a hole into the door of another home, entered, and bludgeoned a woman to death. The victims all had red hair. So a witness outside of the second house described Floyd to police, and they traced him to where he worked at a trucking company. Under arrest, he admitted that red-headed women triggered an overwhelming lust in him, and in fact, he said he had killed before. Six years earlier, Floyd had murdered the red-headed pregnant wife of a fellow trucker. Later that year, he'd raped and murdered a mother and a daughter, both redheads. Two and a half years later, he killed a redhead he'd seen undressing in her apartment. Due to Floyd's low IQ, a judge sentenced him to a mental institution for life. Another example is the story of Glenn Edward Rogers. He also seemed to have a thing for redheads and was known as the cross-country killer. He traveled from state to state between 1993 and 1995. He'd cozy up to women and ask for favors. He even moved in with one briefly. He was convicted of five murders, but bragged that he'd murdered more than 70 people, including Nicole Brown Simpson. Don't shoot the messenger. Four of his victims were women with reddish hair, and it turns out that his mother was a redhead, and Roger's brother says that she'd rejected and abused him. In addition to those cases, there's also another series of murders referred to as the redhead murders. This refers to a series of unsolved homicides of redheaded females in the United States between October 1978 and 1992, believed to have been committed by an unidentified male serial killer. 
we are going to tell you about the victims that have been found in hopes that maybe someone somewhere might know who these unidentified women are. The murders believed to be related have occurred in states including Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. The murders may have continued up until 1992. The victims, many of whom have never been identified, were usually women with reddish hair, whose bodies were abandoned along major highways in the United States. Officials believe that the women were likely hitchhiking or may have engaged in prostitution. Authorities are unsure how many people were responsible for these murders, if they were all performed by the same perpetrators, and you know how many victims there have been. It's believed that there may have been a total of 6 to 11 victims. Of the presumed victims, four were identified by November of 2018. The suspect was informally called the Bible Belt Strangler in 2018 because of the territory where the bodies were found. On September the 16th, 1984, the body of a woman later identified as 28-year-old Lisa Nichols, who also used the last name of Jarvis, was found along Interstate 40 near West Memphis, Arkansas. She was wearing only a sweater, and she was found to have been a resident of West Virginia. Authorities were not able to identify and contact her family members for some time, indicating that Nichols was estranged from them. She was not identified until June of 1985, nine months after she was strangled. She was identified through her fingerprints. Nichols is believed to have been a victim in the redhead murders. Common characteristics are her hair color, which was reddish or strawberry blonde, and being found along a highway. She was identified by a couple from Florida who had allowed her to stay with them for a period of time. Nichols may have been murdered after leaving a truck stop along the highway and may have attempted to hitchhike. On January the 1st of 1985, the bound body of a woman was found near Jellicoe, Tennessee, in Campbell County, down an embankment off of the southbound side of Interstate 75. The remains were in an advanced state of decomposition as she was killed approximately 70, 72 hours before. The victim was killed by strangulation. She was Caucasian and had shoulder-length curly red hair. Her age was estimated to be between 17 and 25, but possibly as old as 30. The victim was found clothed in a tan pullover, a shirt, and jeans, and additionally she had been wrapped in a blanket, which was later found to have seminal fluid on it. Her eyes were green, and the young woman had freckles over her body and various scars, including a burn mark on one arm. She was 10 to 12 weeks pregnant when she died, and she had a partial upper denture holding two false teeth. It's believed that she was between 5 foot 1 and 5 foot 4 inches tall, and was approximately 110 to 115 pounds. On September 6 of 2018, the Shelby County Sheriff's Office announced that the victim had been identified by fingerprint as Tina Marie McKinney Farmer of Indiana. She was 21 or 22 at the time of her death and was the last seen in Indianapolis, Indiana, accompanied by a trucker said to be headed to Kentucky. Farmer had one daughter prior to disappearing in 1984, and she was reported missing by her family at the time, 
Yet authorities in Indiana did not enter her into national databases, so the state did not have a law common to many other states requiring law enforcement to enter unidentified victims into this database. You kind of have to wonder if they had had that type of database, if they were able to link all these together, which I think that they are paying a lot of attention to that type of stuff now, and they are making sure that they have you know, this database and they contact other states when they find similar, Yeah, they know. now in the present time they do contact, but, you know, in the 80s, uh, like law enforcement, helping other law enforcement, I don't even think was a concept. Right, I don't even think, I know it didn't go across state lines and a lot of times it didn't go across county lines either. So, in 2019, DNA evidence identified convicted kidnapper Jerry Leon Johns as the man that had killed Tina Marie McKinney Farmer in December of 1984. Johns actually died in prison in 2015, and he was previously convicted in 1987 of aggravated kidnapping, assault, and other crimes in the attack on a woman, Linda Shack, that he had actually picked up in Knox County, Tennessee, two months after Farmer's disappearance and death. Shack actually survived the attack after she was bound, strangled, and dumped along I-40. Her testimony assisted in putting Johns behind bars. Like Farmer, Shaq had been choked with a piece of cloth ripped from her t-shirt, bound, and left for dead inside a storm drain under I-40 near Watt Road. That's not really very far from where we live, about an hour away. So, like Farmer and the other potential victims of the redhead murders, Shaq also had red hair. On December the 18th of 2019, a grand jury in Campbell County, Tennessee, ruled that John's would have been indicted for murder in Farmer's death if he were still alive. On April the 3rd of 1985, the skeletonized partial remains of a young girl were discovered about 200 yards off Big Wheel Gap Road, four miles southwest of Jellicoe, Tennessee, in Campbell County near a strip mine. She was believed to have been dead between one and four years. Her age was estimated between nine and 15, and she was found by a passerby. The cause of death is undetermined, which does not rule out homicide, and 32 bones, including her skull, were recovered from the scene. Her skull was complete enough to permit a facial reconstruction attempt, and a necklace and bracelet made of plastic buttons were found nearby, as well as a pair of size 5 boots and a few scraps of clothing. These items may or may not belong to her, and her hair color and eye color are unknown. Her age range is below the median for the other victims, but the circumstances of her death may connect her to them. Other similarities exist between this case and that of Tina Farmer and survivor Linda Shacks. The knot in the cloth found in the piece of material found tied around the victim, uh, its neck of the Campbell County victim, was very similar to the knot in a piece of material found tied around Linda Shacks' neck two months after the Campbell County victim. And that may not seem like much, but that is one thing that they pay attention to is the way that the knots are tied because people typically tie a knot the same way over and over and over again. It's a repetitive behavior. So something as simple as that, you know, can actually link, you know, murders together. So recent forensic analysis of the victim's remains indicated that she was not native to the area where she was discovered. The test showed that she was likely born in Florida or Central Texas and had later lived in the Midwest, the Rocky Mountain states, the Southwest, or the, you know, the Pacific Coast. On March the 31st of 1985, the skeletonized body of a red-haired female was found in Pleasant View in Cheatham County, Tennessee. 
Uh, she was believed to have died between three and five months previously due to an unknown cause. However, her case is possibly linked to the redhead murders because her remains were found at the side of Interstate 24 between mile markers 29 and 30. Now, what were you saying when we were investigating this case that it sounded a lot like to you that it was someone who used the interstate a lot? So, someone like a truck driver? You would think it would be a truck driver. Delivery guy, yeah. something along that that constantly drove that same route. And it doesn't always necessarily mean that it was a truck driver. It could have been, you know, just a person that traveled that journey that often, you know, and they probably really enjoyed driving by there because they knew that those bodies were there. Right. So, even though... You know, they had decomp, you know, the killer would still drive by and get that joy from knowing that his victims were there. Yeah. And there were so many of them. So it was just like he was, you know, just stacking them there. So unlike some of the other victims, she was wearing clothing, a shirt, sweater, pants, and underwear. And she was white, between 5 feet and 5 feet 2 inches tall, and her weight could not be determined. An examination of her teeth showed that the victim had some evidence of crowding and overlapping in her mouth. Uh, This woman was believed to be between the ages of 31 and 40 at the time of her death. On April the 1st of 1985, the body of another woman was found in a large white Admiral Freezer refrigerator in Gray, Knox County, Kentucky, alongside Route 25. Her death was by suffocation. The victim had been dead for a few days and was nude except for two distinctive necklace pendants, one of a heart and the other of a gold-colored eagle and two pairs of socks, one white and the other white with green and yellow stripes. There were reports that the victim may have been soliciting a ride to North Carolina over CB radio. 500 people attended that Jane Doe victim's funeral, which was televised. The case was a local sensation in Gray, as the town was a quiet and sleepy place where little out of the ordinary usually happened. The refrigerator had a decal of the words Superwoman on the front. Distinguishing features of the body included a number of moles on the right side of her neck, near one ankle, and below each breast, a yellow-stained upper incisor, and a scar and other marks on her abdomen indicating that she had actually had a child. Her eyes were light brown and her hair was red, nearly a foot long, which fits the pattern of the redhead murders. After the autopsy, the victim was determined to be between 24 and 35 years old and approximately 4 foot 9 to 4 foot 11 inches tall. It's also possible that she owned the pair of boots that was found near the refrigerator. Several missing persons have been eliminated as possible matches for the victim. But after the case was publicized in January of 2013, the police received some tips, but it is unknown if they became solid leads. On October the 1st of 2018, the Knox County Sheriff's Office announced that this woman had been positively identified as Epsi Regina Black Pilgrim of Western North Carolina. A DNA match was made between her and her grown daughter who said her mother disappeared when the girl was six weeks old. Pilgrim also had four older children. On February the 13th of 1983... The naked body of a white female was found alongside Route 215 near Littleton in Wetzel County, West Virginia. A pair of senior citizens reported the body, which they had originally thought was a display mannequin. The body had been placed at the area recently as snow was on the ground, but not on the body. 
Police said that the tire tracks and footprints nearby indicated that she was likely transported to that site after death from another location. Their examination concluded that she had died about two days previously and was not a victim of sexual assault. Her cause of death was undetermined. Her hair was auburn, and by 1985, she was linked possibly to other redheaded women found as homicide victims whose death seems to be related. With an estimated age between 35 and 45, this victim appeared to have been older than the median for the other women grouped as victims of the serial killer. Her height was estimated at 5 feet 6 inches, and her weight was about 135 pounds. Her eyes were presumed to be brown, although post-mortem changes may have affected her eye color. She had two scars, one that was typical of a cesarean section and another on one index finger. The woman's legs and underarms were shaven, indicating an attention to grooming, not characteristic of a transient or a hitchhiker. Witnesses described seeing a middle-aged white male, about 5 feet 10, weighing 185 to 200 pounds, near the area where the body was found. The victim may have been seen alive in Wheeling, West Virginia, as an employee or a customer at a bar. West Virginia authorities are skeptical of whether this victim is related to other victims in the redheaded murders, but we always want to tell you about these just in case they do happen to be linked. So, on April the 14th of 1985, the body of a young white female was found in Greenville, Green County, Tennessee. She was determined to have been killed between three and six weeks earlier by severe blunt force trauma and possibly a stab wound. Her body was in an advanced state of decomposition, and police were able to obtain her fingerprints as well as DNA and dental information. She had been approximately six to eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died, but had miscarried before death. She was estimated to be between 14 to 20 years old, possibly as old as 25. She was approximately 5 foot 4 inches tall to 5 foot 6 inches tall, with a weight of 130 to 140 pounds, and she had a slight overbite and had some fillings in her teeth, showing that she had dental care in her life, and her fingernails had pink polish. Because she had light brown to blonde hair with red highlights, her case was thought to be possibly related to the redhead murders, but authorities hoped in late April of 1985 that they would identify her body through fingerprints, but were unsuccessful. Six missing women were ruled out as possible identities of the victim. She was not identified until November of 2018 when officials announced that the victim was New Hampshire native Elizabeth Lamont. She was 17 at the time of her death, and Lamont had disappeared on April 6 of 1984. She was identified through a DNA match after a DNA profile was obtained from Lamont's family by New Hampshire police in 2017. She had been staying at a group home in Manchester, New Hampshire, and never returned to her family after gaining furlough. Lamont's family was initially asked for DNA profile to compare to the adult woman victim of the Bear Brook murders. An unidentified girlfriend of the suspect, who went by the alias of Robert Evans, was known by the same first name of Elizabeth. Robert Evans was later revealed to be a serial killer, Teddy, Terry Petter Rasmussen. It's believed that most of the victims remain unidentified due to being estranged or not close with existing family members. They also may not have been native to the states in which they were found. 
1985, not long after the Greene County victim was found, the states of Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi requested the Federal Bureau of Investigation for assistance with the cases. There were inconsistencies among some of the victims and characteristics of the crime scenes, as some were found with or without clothing, and some had had a sexual encounter before their murders. During the conference, it was stated that four victims found in Tennessee and a victim found in 1981 in Ohio named Buckskin Girl, and she was later identified as Marsha King, were ruled out in 1985 as possible victims in the Redhead murders. A possible suspect emerged circa 1985 when a 37-year-old trucker, Jerry Leon Johns, attacked and attempted to strangle a woman with reddish hair. He left the victim lying near a highway, presuming she was dead. He was later dismissed in the redhead murder case, because, but was convicted of the woman's kidnapping in 1987. Despite his exclusion from the case, it was announced that DNA from Johns was matched to Tina Farmer via CODIS in 2016. He actually died in prison in 2015 at the age of 67 but a grand jury decided that he would have been indicted for the slaying had he been alive. Johns was a trucker who resided in Cleveland, Tennessee before his arrest. It had not been specified whether he is considered a suspect in other victims of the redhead murders, but if you'll notice the pattern, they have all of this um, DNA from 1985, and now that there's been advancements in medical technology, and we're actually able to go to family members to determine if they're possibly related, we can clear up a lot of these cases. So that is a wonderful technological advancement to be able to do that. Yeah, having the DNA is, is like key. Exactly. And so a lot of uh, people are actually turning in for Ancestry.com, you know, to find out what their origin is. And it's actually being able to solve a lot of cold cases because that DNA... If they're family, it links them together. So, Another suspect was a 32-year-old trucker in Pennsylvania who was questioned after kidnapping and raping a young woman in the state of Indiana. Now, she managed to escape before she suffered more injury, but this suspect was also dismissed from this investigation after being questioned by Tennessee police. In 2018, students enrolled in a sociology class at Elizabethtown High School studied the case with the aid of their instructor. The class coined the name Bible Belt Strangler. The class developed the information from an FBI profiler. They described the subject as a white male born between 1936 and 1962, aged between 23 and 49 in 1985, who was likely a commercial trucker frequenting Interstate 40, and they estimated his height and weight to be between 5'9 and 6'2", and between 180 to 270 pounds. His work was likely based in or near the city of Knoxville, Tennessee, and many of the above-mentioned cases are still considered open. So now that we have sufficiently frightened every red-haired woman that listens to our podcast, (laughs) all right, guys, um, until next time, say it with us. No, No, she didn't, didn't, but but now now she she does. does.